1: So I'm back from paternity leave with a new baby boy and a pretty amazing story about his dramatic entry into this world. He was born in the passenger seat of our car in the parking lot of the hospital. This episode is in two parts. First, you'll hear directly from my amazing wife about giving birth to our son in the family car. Then I speak with Dr. Luke Bernice, Senior Maternal Health Advisor at the UN Population Fund, who puts our experience in a larger global health context. We discuss various interventions to reduce maternal and newborn mortality around the world, including the deployment of what the World Health Organization calls skilled birth attendants. Now, I've reported on health systems and maternal and newborn health for years and visited clinics and hospitals in Bangladesh and in several countries in sub-Saharan Africa. But it wasn't until my wife gave birth in our old Toyota that I truly appreciated the role of a skilled birth attendant in ensuring the safety and health and welfare of mother and child. And now here is my amazing wife. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Mark. So what was it like to give birth in the passenger seat of our Toyota Highlander?
0: (laughs) It's pretty nuts. It's probably something that you... Um, read a book about or see a movie about But you don't actually think is ever going to
1: happen to you Did you think we'd make it to the hospital?
0: I I did not Although I had visions of us getting a police escort
1: At points When you screamed that scream At like around first and downing <laughs> I remember thinking to myself that You know this I've heard this once before About 10 minutes before our first baby was born And we were at least 11 <laughs> minutes away from the hospital So I wasn't so sure
0: yeah, I knew it was about to be quick, but I definitely didn't know it was going to be that quick.
1: So we pulled up in front of the hospital, and I remember running to the passenger seat, and you're, you're up on your knees, and I look down, and I see the crowning head of our baby, and I think to myself, I hope this is not what I think it is that is that I'm seeing. Um, what do you remember about pulling up in front of the hospital?
0: Um, I remember screaming help me very very loud. I remember seeing like the commotion of a valet or security guard Um, I remember them trying to move me into a a wheelchair, which was not about to happen. I was not about to let them do that Um, And then I remember a very nice woman came up and I just pushed him out
1: so so my memory is a little different (laughs) I remember so we're driving to the hospital I was not panicking because I was, like, focused. I had one single mission. I was going to make it to the hospital. I was going to make it to the hospital. I was going to make it to the hospital. And we made it to the hospital. We made it to the front of the ER entrance. And that's actually when the panic set in because I was no longer focused on making it to the hospital. And, like, there was this impending doom coming over me. And then the the doom. Well, doom perhaps is not the right word. (laughs) Um, But a a just the, like this fear that um, something wrong something would not go right because this was not part of the birth plan giving birth in the passenger seat of our Highlander and then I remember um, so you see you, you reference the nice woman that's uh, nurse Susan Rod and the first thing I remember seeing that that calmed me down that took away that impending fear and the impending fanic was not nurse Rod but her gloves her sterile uh, hospital gloves and to me, that signaled that you know someone who knew what they were doing is going to help us out here. Or Did you, just,
0: you really mean that about the gloves?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, It was like someone. It was signaled to me that there was someone who knew what they were doing was was there, as opposed to the hospital valet, the security guard, me, and you.
0: <laughs> That's
1: true. Because <laughs> up I until mean, the point, <laughs> that was who I thought was going to deliver our baby.
0: I mean, and I don't remember. I don't remember hearing them or seeing the Susan call the code blue, but I'm sure that would have been reassuring
1: to you. Or yeah. I would assume that would have been. She had this mic in her lapel that she spoke into. And really, like, maybe uh, 10 seconds after the baby was born, a whole team of nurses and doctors ran to the parking lot of the ER. Um, but everyone, like you said, everyone they called that, that emergency off pretty immediately. Once they saw that baby and mama and everyone was doing great. Except the car. Yeah. The car could use a scrubbing. <laughs> and then do you remember the final push?
0: No. I no. Just, <laughs> no. I don't. I just remember pushing and he was out very quickly.
1: And I remember watching the birth of our son through the windshield of our car as the nurse caught him in the passenger seat. How did you know or when did you think that, okay, this is going to work out?
0: Uh, just when I heard him cry. I Me mean, too. you know, our daughter was born not breathing. Obviously, that was something in the back of my head, but I I just kind of thought it was going to be okay. And then, of course, when I heard him cry, I knew it was going to be just fine.
1: You want to say hi, Meyer? Say hi? No, he's shy. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, I love you. Love you. Uh, so yeah, I recorded that interview with my wife about four days after the fact. And now here is Dr. Luke Berny of the UN Population Fund to help put our scare into a broader global context. And this is a really interesting conversation about midwifery, about skilled birth attendants, and about how the strength of a health system in the developing world contributes to maternal health and child survival, and conversely, how weak health systems contribute to unnecessarily high maternal mortality rates and newborn mortality rates. So here is Dr. Luc de Bernice.
2: Wow, okay, so you had an experience of of, uh... Your wife or your partner giving birth in in a car?
1: Exactly. Last week
2: we were driving.
1: Last my week, wife's yeah. Car. My wife, uh, you know, went into labor so fast. We pulled up yeah. to the emergency room parking lot, but never made it inside. A nurse on her way to lunch break heard the commotion and delivered the baby in the passenger
2: seat of our old Toyota. <laughs> yeah, and all was okay. All okay. was okay. Everyone's
1: everyone's good. I'm, I'm. This is my first day back from paternity leave, and I wanted to reflect on that experience and and maybe put it into a global context uh, and ask you just to kick off this conversation to talk a, a bit about the link between a skilled birth attendant and maternal health and neonatal health. What what is that link? Because I know that your organization and others have done a lot to try to increase the number and improve the quality of skilled birth attendants?
2: Yeah, absolutely, and thanks for this question. The The point is perhaps to tell first what is a skilled birth attendant, because we need to be clear about what we are uh, talking about. A skilled birth attendant is a health professional who has been specifically trained on midwifery and obstetrics. So, uh, first of, first of uh, the Caders, the most important cadre, uh, named kilber attendant, is a midwife or nurse midwife who has been trained during in general three years uh, to acquire a number of competencies and uh, these midwives or nurse midwives are capable to deliver around 85% of the essential intervention for the mothers and the babies mm-hmm. and then You have specialists like obstetricians. We are able to deliver all interventions, including surgery. Um, And you have auxiliaries, auxiliary midwives. They are not skilled birth attendants. They are auxiliaries. And sometimes you have doctors who have been trained on obstetric and midwifery. And you have also some nurses trained on midwifery. So... So the, Only the emergency room candles.
1: nurse that uh, caught our baby in the parking lot probably wouldn't qualify as a skilled birth attendant.
2: Exactly. So you see, it's it's not to say that any uh, uh, health professional should be able to assist a normal birth. And this was a very normal and rapid birth. So basically, you have to uh, save, you have to do very few things to ensure for example, the safety of the baby is not falling uh, to ensure that uh, the mother is, uh, is, is okay. Uh, but then you need a, specialist, uh, a more specialist cadre to ensure that the placenta will be delivered correctly without any hemorrhage, uh, that the baby is uh, uh, very well and needs not, is not needing any resuscitation, and that the woman has not uh, hypertensive diseases or other things that need to be uh, identified and treated. You know? So, in the case of a very normal birth, reason why the humanity is a humanity, women are giving birth without any problem. We can consider that uh, around 75-80% of the women are capable to give birth without any uh, problem. But... The problem that we are facing is that a complication can occur without any signal, very brutally, uh, even with women uh, without any risk, okay? Very healthy women, women who have already delivered can face a complication which is coming at any time during pregnancy and particularly at the time of childbirth. This is the reason why the recommendation and the strategy to reduce maternal mortality and also maternal morbidity and also stillbirth and also neonatal morbidity and mortality is to ensure that a professional is present when the woman is giving birth, particularly because this is most dangerous moment, to ensure that complication will not only be identified, but will be treated correctly.
1: Yeah, my our first child was actually born not breathing, was born um, uh it needed to be resuscitated at birth. But,
2: you know, we made, you it, see? And we and made it to you the hospital for her. her. Yeah. yeah, exactly. If you lose the first minutes to resuscitate a baby, you can expose him to a very severe morbidity and disease, particularly at the brain level. hmm but well, luckily, I mean, so, we were
1: in that, that hospital, a really advanced hospital setting, and within seconds, nurses were resuscitating exactly. our, our little girl. And she's, you know, two and a half years old and, and doing great.
2: Um, you so, you so, said second, because each second is, is important.
1: I'm trying to connect my experience to the experience of, of families uh, around the world. Um, how and where are most births? Like, Where do most births
2: occur? Presumably at home, I would imagine. Yes, still, we consider, uh, based on the estimate that we have from countries, that uh, a little more than 50% of pregnant women are not assisted by any health professional at birth. But a little more are reaching facilities to give birth. So let's say that a little less than 50% of the women in the world are giving birth at home. We have to add to that, and this is your experience a small proportion of women giving birth on the way to the facility or to the hospital. And this is particularly important when the way is very long. And the way is very long in many poor countries where women are living in remote areas without good transportation, with a good road. And if the labor starts at the middle of the night, or, you know, it could be very difficult difficult for them to find uh, transportation means to reach the facility and the health professional in time so we have a proportion of women we who cannot uh, deliver out of the home for many reasons Uh, but we have also women trying to deliver in a facility but not able to reach a facility on time so let's consider that quite half of the world women are. Delivering out of a facility. Not because they have chosen that very often, but because they have no access to health professionals and health facilities.
1: Um, So, what is the UN Population Fund and other partners concerned about maternal mortality and neonatal mortality doing to bring the skilled birth attendant or the midwife to the woman in her home or in their village?
2: You know, uh, what is very important to consider is that. Maternal and Neonatal mortality is preventable in any setting for for at least 90% of the women and babies. So, this is unacceptable that women and babies continue to, to die due to causes which are preventable or treatable. And this is the reason why UNFPA with other partners, WHO and others, are working to reduce this maternal mortality and mobility, this stillbirth and this neonatal and, and uh, mortality and mobility, giving access to a health professional, particularly again at the time of birth. Because we know the interventions which are necessary to prevent uh, a death and the, the best example is looking at countries where good programs have been put in place and all these good programs are related to implementing to deploying midwives and ensuring that they are able to work in good conditions to provide the key interventions that are important for women and babies. Look at Sri Lanka look at uh, Cuba look at uh, a number of countries where the government has decided to uh, eliminate the preventable maternal and newborn mortality, and this has worked. So we have excellent example, and uh, I I really often uh, quote a former WHO director, Professor Mahmoud Fatala from Cairo, saying that, in fact, countries have the maternal mortality they deserve. If they don't put in place the programs, this can explain the high level of maternal mortality. And even in poor settings, it's not very difficult. It's challenging. It's not an easy task, but it's possible to have programs very effective to reduce or eliminate the preventable maternal and newborn mortality. So can you walk
1: me through one of those successful programs in a challenging environment? Like, is there a country in sub-Saharan Africa that's making significant strides? And, and what are they doing
2: right? No. For the moment, uh, in sub-Saharan Africa, we, we are in a situation which is not very good. First of all, Africa is now the, the continent where the, the, the biggest part of the maternal deaths occur. So, Asia is becoming second, despite the fact that Asia population is bigger. And uh, some African countries are not making the expected progress, and a few of them are even with the highest maternal mortality now. Look at Ebola crisis. We are afraid that Sierra Leone and uh, perhaps Guinea are send back to previous very high maternal mortality ratio mm-hmm. due to the ebola crisis that's that's
1: because but, the uh, health systems of those countries have been so damaged uh, by the by the yeah. ebola crisis i've exactly. done i should say i've done other but episodes it, specifically looking at the nexus between the ebola crisis and maternal mortality so i
2: recommend people check check out those previous episodes but but the point you make i think is is very very important Many, many facilities in these countries, and I visited them, have closed. Uh, The population was really in fear of using them because it was the best place to be infected. And uh, as you know, the health workers have paid a huge tribute to the infection. Mm -hmm. I mean, I
1: remember I visited once uh, Phoebe Hospital in Bong County, Liberia, as part of a reporting trip, and I know that that was a hospital
2: um, that was hit hard by the Ebola crisis. Let me say something about Liberia, because you are talking about Liberia. Please. Liberia has done really better, and if you compare the the number of health workers in Liberia compared to Sierra Leone and Guinea, it's a huge difference. Liberia will go out of a, a, a high rate of maternal mortality and morbidity because they have midwife schools. they have midwives deployed, they have obstetricians, etc. This is not the case in Guinea. In Guinea, when the epidemic started, in the district where the epidemic started fast, it was no one midwife uh, at facility level out of some midwives in few hospitals. But in the field, in the health centers, no any midwives, okay? So, if you are in these fragile states, in this fragile situation where the health system is very weak, there is no chance to reduce maternal mortality. For maternal mortality reduction, you need a basic functioning health system. Reason why it's more difficult to uh, prevent maternal mortality sometimes than HIV or other diseases because we cannot work without a basic health systems. We need people in the in the ground like community health workers convincing the mother to go to the facilities. We need midwife, well deployed, covering all the territory and accessible to any pregnant woman. And then we need a referral system to refer women when they, have, uh, they are facing complication to tertiary hospitals or to referral hospitals. If you have no, this chain is absolutely critical. It's not enormous, but the challenge for these countries is to make it working 24 hours per week and seven uh, sorry per day and seven uh, seven day per week. This is difficult in Paris or Washington to have an emergency system working very f- uh, efficiently all the time. So imagine in south of Chad or imagine in in, uh, in Zimbabwe how it's difficult to have that. But this is a condition uh, to reduce and to eliminate maternal mortality. And this is feasible. Again, Sri Lanka, they have clearly uh, uh, implemented uh, uh, skilled midwives with the facilities, and they have conducted a campaign to convince the mother that it was uh, life-saving to to, uh, use the services. And this worked absolutely well. In Africa, unfortunately, we are not there yet. But I can give you a good example. In Niger, in one of the poorest districts of Niger, uh, uh, an an NGO working with the government and with the support of UNFPA has uh, applied a very strict strategy based on the smallpox eradication strategy with different steps, training community as workers to assist women to go to a facility where it was a midwife when, they give la- when the labor started. Okay, only that. With this intervention only, with a very still, very simple health system, with one midwife in a health center and one district hospital with Cesar and section possible surgery, they have eliminated all deaths related to obstructed labor in one year. In two years, no more obstetric fistula. We can talk eventually about obstetric fistula if you want. And now they are applying these strategies to hemorrhage, which is uh, still the the highest, the most important cause of maternal death. So So this is showing that even in the poor district, with very simple health systems, if you support the mothers and the community supporting the mothers so they can reach... The facility to ensure that complication will be identified and treated Im- immediately. We we are we have a, a fantastic impact on the maternal and newborn mortality. I mean, the the, the what you're describing just seems so
1: straightforward, um, and and you know it doesn't seem that like terribly expensive. Uh, it's just I suppose a matter of of political will and and people recognizing that you know. Maternal deaths are, are so preventable.
2: Absolutely. As I said, Mahmoud Fatala is saying when countries will have decide, decided to eliminate maternal mortality, they will do. It's just an issue of political will and investment. Anyway, each population needs to have a functioning basic health system, you know, and women could be the entry door to put in place this health system. This is said for the last 40 years, but we see the difficulties not only for countries' government, but also sometimes for donors to focus on this implementation of a basic functioning health system. It's perhaps less appealing to do that than, uh, you know, uh, uh, having HIV programs working well. I don't want to oppose to HIV, but, uh, you know, some programs are more appealing than just helping countries to do the basics. And the basics are the most important. If you have no hospital in any country, it's, you cannot prevent death. You know. And by the way, uh, your example is also interesting because we need emergencies for road accidents, for example. Road accidents is, in the developing world, the most important cause of death now. Okay, And for road accidents, you need the same basically, than for a pregnant woman. You need an hospital in any district which is working, again, 24 hours per day and seven days per week, able to deal with surgery, with emergency, with resuscitation. This is exactly the same for women, and we need to put that in place.
1: Uh, Well, Luke, thank you so much for your time and, and for speaking
2: with me. It's a pleasure. All right. Thank you
1: all for listening. Mother and child are still doing well. He's even sleeping a little bit through the night. So very thankful I am for this happy outcome. Uh, Some great shows coming up. Remember, if you are a regular listener to the podcast, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It helps other people similarly interested in foreign policy, international development and human rights. Discover the podcast. And as always, you can go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to check out our robust archives of in-depth conversations with foreign policy thought leaders. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye.